once again to the Global Gale podcast, my friends. My name is Philip O'Connor, coming to you from Stockholm in Sweden, where I've lived for the last 24 years. And you are listening to the podcast for the 70 million odd people around the world, either from Ireland or of Irish heritage. This is where we say that there is no such thing as an ordinary Irish person abroad. And we tell their stories and we share inspiration for the community. And we let you know what's going on with the other Irish people, whether they be in Brisbane or in Abu Dhabi or in Toronto or in Buenos Aires or wherever people will speak to me, we will find them, we will talk to them and we will bring you their stories. And regular listeners are sitting there now, boys and girls, and they're thinking, okay, this just dropped into my feed on a Wednesday. This usually comes out in a Saturday. What is he doing? Well, there's a good reason for that, boys and girls. Uh, We've concentrated over the last few weeks on the Women's World Cup. We've had a lot of news about Ireland and insight into what Ireland have been doing at the Women's World Cup. And if you've been watching, and I really hope you have, you will have noticed that Ireland went out of the group stage. They took one point from three games, uh, which was, you know, decent enough return. Very tough group. They lost by the odd goal to Australia and to Canada. And we kind of thought that we'd left it there, but not really. Because what I wanted to do was, I wanted to bring you a little bit of insight from within the camp, right? I, like, I know how wonderful these 23 players and that support staff and everybody were. And I really wanted to bring you a little bit of insight from inside the camp. So this week's podcast uh, is a little bit of a look forward to the World Cup final, which is now on Sunday. And that's why the podcast is coming out a little bit early. But it features none other than Chloe Mustaki. And Chloe was part of the squad, the Irish squad, that got us to the World Cup and that was at the World Cup. Unfortunately, Chloe wasn't given the chance to play herself, which I think is a real shame. I think she would have been very much deserving of some playing time down there, especially thinking uh, how some of the games went. But uh, it wasn't to be. I'm not the coach of the national team. Probably a good thing, in fairness. For that moment, Vera Powell was still there. You never know what's going to happen with her. So Chloe was kind enough to give me a half an hour, 40 minutes of our time and we had a great chat about the World Cup, but we also took a look forward to what's going to happen next, right? And for, for many of us who've been watching the women's game for a long time, that means that the Women's Super League in England is kicking off, and Chloe is going to be playing there for the first time in the top flight of English women's football as a full-time professional footballer. Uh, so we talked a little bit about that, because one of the most important things, and I've kind of seen this happen before, lads, so I've got to be a little bit of a Cassandra here, right? You know, when Sweden have done really well in a tournament, and you think, oh, brilliant now everybody's going to go to the league games and no it just sort of goes back to normal and you get a few thousand going to see the national team and this kind of thing as well you know so and then it's only really at the big tournaments that the big interest is shown but I don't know something tells me it's turning lads and I think it's going to turn in the national league in Ireland as well that you know when you have players like Abby Larkin and Stephanie Roach and Anya Gorman there uh, at Shamrock Rovers you have some great players at Shelbourne as well and the brilliant thing is that no matter where you are in the world now you can follow it right because you have the League of Ireland TV thing and all the women's games are included there as well. So you can watch it and you can keep up with them. And frankly, after having... Uh, I have two daughters as well. And we you know, we, we always struggled. Even when I was a young fella going to school. That you didn't see women playing sport. With the, the general exception of maybe Sonia O'Sullivan and a few others. But it wasn't as accessible as it is now. So I'm hoping that people will uh, have enjoyed the podcast we've done. I'm really hoping you'll enjoy this podcast. And uh, that people will continue to take an interest in the girls agreed. But listen, I'm sure you're dying to know what went on behind the scenes at the World Cup. So here she is, back from the World Cup and getting ready for the upcoming women. Super League season. This is the magnificent Chloe Mustaki on the Global Gale podcast, lads. Enjoy. 
Chloe Mustaki looking very fresh for a woman who spent her <laughs> summer at the World Cup. How does it all feel now a couple of weeks after coming home from Australia? Uh, well, thank you very much for the compliment. I'm not sure about that. Um, but yeah, look, it feels a bit surreal. Um, I'm kind of like, have a bit more of a pep in my step now, having kind of recovered a bit from what was um, an amazing eight weeks, but also, you know, difficult in some ways. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. It feels like it almost didn't even happen. But then again, when you're watching the games on your sofa uh, here and the World Cup progresses, it does feel real all the same. And so it was unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, I guess overall, but just warning that we want to get out of the group stage. And I think most of the girls will feel that way. But at the end of the day, you need to uh, learn from experience. And it is our first major tournament. So hopefully the next one we qualify for will progress a bit further in. Yeah, I was only saying to somebody this morning, it seems to me that the margins at this tournament were so fine. So Sweden were so close to making the final, didn't happen. Australia today at 1-1, their two yeah. chances also didn't happen. Is that how, you know, when you look back on Ireland's group stage, because it really felt like, Jesus, you know, only one goal in it against Australia, only one goal in it against Canada. It <laughs> feels like kind of the one that got away a little bit, does it? Yeah. I I mean, part of me feels that way, but then most of me feels like as if, I think you've got to create your own look and you have to have enough experience to be able to create that look. And I think we lacked that a little bit um, this time around. So, like, you can tell from the games we have so much potential in the squad. And um, we're just, you know, it's still fresh for us in that sense. And um, we're only kind of in and around major tournaments in the past few years, having kind of narrowly missed out on the last Euros. So, we are building in that experience, but we're just not quite there yet. Like, if you compare ourselves to most other nations who are regularly qualifying for these major tournaments, and, um, you know, for them, this is just the usual. But for us, it's a, it's a massive occasion. And sometimes, or maybe that may have played a part in, in all three games for us. So, um, and then, look, the group we had was quite unfortunate. <laughs> With the Australian Canada and then Nigeria, and we went on to, um, you know, upset um, a couple of teams. So, Look, it was the way it was, and we just have to look ahead now and hopefully do better next time. Um, it's a brilliant experience, uh, but the only sort of unfortunate thing about it on your part was the fact that you didn't actually get on the pitch. Is it very difficult, you know, to have been to a World Cup and to be sort of standing there on the sideline, you know, because every player wants to play, right? Is that a little bit of a downside, or is it still the overall experience still a very positive one for you? Yeah, um, look... Yeah, of course, there's some disappointment there. And um, when you're training hard for the guts of eight weeks and you don't get rewarded um, by getting getting on the pitch at all, like that, that is difficult. But when you're playing at this level, very elite level, and um, it's a balancing act. Like you have to work hard and expect a lot of yourself, but you also need to keep perspective. And, you know, there's a lot of players who missed out on on that World Cup squad who could have easily been there and um, ahead of other people like myself. So I just tried to keep that um, in mind when I did feel down or upset at times throughout the tournament. And um, so, yeah, it is the way it is. Uh, I couldn't have really changed it. I gave them my all in every session to prove myself and the decisions were made um, as they were. So uh, I just need to move on and keep looking ahead and keep working hard at my club and um, hopefully, you know, be a regular in, in the Ireland squad and hopefully get more caps to my name as, as the month 
um, come. It was a long time to be away from home, to be away from family, that kind of thing, and to be bunted in together with like, you know, 22 other girls, some of whom you're competing with for a place in the team, some of whom are mad, some of whom are very <laughs> sort of laid back. What was the, the buzz like in the hotel? Because the one thing I will say in FIFA's favour is you tend to get to stay in nice places. You tend to get very yeah. well looked after food-wise and transport-wise. Were you able to entertain yourselves? Did you get what uh, Hedvig Lindahl, the Swedish goalkeeper, always <laughs> describes as hotel deaths is how she describes and after a few weeks did you have that or are we able to keep sort of excited and, and on top of things all the time um like i think because the fact that we we were kind of moving around it kept things a bit um new for us from time to time like we obviously traveled from Brisbane to sydney for the first game then back then from Brisbane to perth and then back and then waiting around a, a little bit for the last game but generally speaking we were we were kept busy by moving around which in a way was difficult because we were traveling a fair bit but also just kept things fresh for us and um, so although we were there for the guts of a month like it didn't really feel that way and the pack and play we were in sunny Brisbane and uh, so you know we were well looked after and enjoying ourselves when we could so and uh, no major complaints to be honest like it was yeah it was pure luxury. <laughs> did you girls share rooms or did you have a room on your own this time around sometimes it varies depending on the person and the team so were you on your own or did you room with somebody? And uh, so we all got our own rooms from match day minus five. So we, for the first handful of days we were sharing and then uh, from match day minus five onwards, we had our own room. So it was, yeah, it was bliss. I, I really can't complain. Like the hotel was fantastic and uh, to have your own room like that. It's great, but I also think it's important. And um, everyone, we're all adults at this point And like when you're, when you're competing at such a high level and there's a lot of stress and pressure, I think everyone does need that personal space. So while it is a luxury, I do think it is necessary at this level. I remember one team I worked with at a World Cup a few years ago and you know the way you tend to rest in the afternoon so you go you train you eat and then you're supposed to go to rest so two o'clock was resting time and the coaching staff actually used to walk up and down because the girls were sharing rooms and they'd just be there chatting and snickering yeah. they'd be knocking on the dogs going no no you have to go to sleep there so did you uh, when you were rooming with somebody were you able to sort of relax at that point or who were you rooming with by the way do you mind me asking uh, so I was rooming with Sophie Whitehouse um, oh pretty good yeah, one of the keepers. So she's lovely, I think. Uh, Vera does pick the roommates, but I do think she, you know, she makes an effort to kind of pair you up with someone that uh, you're like. So uh, that was great. You know, she was, she was lovely and I hadn't spent much time with her, so we got to know each other a bit better. But uh, yeah, so we actually train in late afternoon, even time to kind of replicate when we would be playing a game. It does mean that we wait around all day for it, which is a bit difficult, but I guess, I understand from Vera's perspective, she wants to keep it like very similar to when we would play the game, so that we're quite used to to, to moving at that at that time of the day. So, and um, so it, it does mean that we can't really do much beforehand because we need to be fresh for training. So that was the only kind of difficult thing is like you want to be out and about because you're in Australia, but we couldn't really do that. And um, but anyway, we were there for one main reason, and that was to win games. So we were well, really kind of messing about. Yeah. <laughs> just just before we start to look forward to the season, it's, and it's a fascinating season that you have ahead of you, um, have you seen many of the games? You mentioned sitting on your couch there back in Ireland watching the games. <laughs> have you been able to enjoy that? And, you know, now we have England against Spain in the final. I'm not sure too many people would have expected that, given the trouble that Spain had with their FA and the injuries that have Eng yeah. England have had, you know. Uh, have you enjoyed the games? Who stuck out for you? Who did you enjoy most watching? Yeah. Um, so I probably haven't watched as many games as you probably imagine. like, just like off back mostly because the games are on in the morning and I'm training in the mornings here now 
I, I really like to get my train out of the way early on. So um had made it a bit more difficult for me to see a lot of the games. But uh, I thought Japan had, were excellent. And I'd say they were quite unfortunate not to make it to, to the semifinals for sure. They definitely impressed me. And I think, to be honest, when I watched England play against China, like I was quite frightened of the quality that they had. And like seeing Lauren Jane banging in goals as if like she was, you know, playing kick around the park was, was fairly, fairly frightening and said, but so England have been quite impressed. A lot of teams, their opening game, they weren't really, but they've really grown into the, into the tournament. And I watched Spain yesterday. Now I wasn't too impressed um, by them personally. I think Sweden, you know, really took the game to them as well. They were quite unlucky, unlucky not to, to progress to the final. So yeah, I I don't know. I think England have been a powerhouse. Japan were unlucky. Um, they probably stood out most. But you had some of the smaller nations that like were unbelievable as well, like Nigeria, uh, beating Australia. Like they've been some of the kind of more most enjoyable games to watch in a way because just thrilling end to end and completely unexpected. So yeah, some of the group stage games have probably been some of the most exciting ones. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a great final, hopefully. Yeah, I, w- I was really worried before the tournament because of this thing with 32 teams and I was going, no, there aren't 32 teams in the world that was good enough and uh, that are good enough for this because I was remembering when the USA beat Thailand 13 yeah. nil. There's no need for that. Just blow it up at halftime. Nobody yeah, wins yeah. this. But to see how teams like Ireland, Haiti, Vietnam, uh, Philippines, how everybody performed when they got there, because they've really, I, I mean, you've really narrowed the gap to the USA, to Germany, yeah. to Japan, which is brilliant, you know. Um, you'll watch the game on Sunday, presumably, will you? Oh, absolute nightmare, but I won't be seeing it live because I'll be driving back to Bristol. Oh, and no. Yeah, absolute nightmare. I either had the option of, like, getting up at the crack of dawn, to get an 8.45 a.m. ferry from Rockflare or I had to get an 8.45 p.m., which wouldn't get me until 1 a.m. to Bristol and then I have a three-hour drive the other, the other side. So I'll be arriving into Bristol about 4 or 5 p.m. on Sunday and I'll be sitting down that evening to rewatch it. I'll know the score, of course, but I'll definitely rewatch it. So, yeah, I mean, like, for me, it was important to get as much time as I could at home and uh, I need to be back for Monday. So, like, it just, it was important for me to, to go at the last possible mm. time. So, yeah, no, I won't be seeing it live, unfortunately. Yeah, it's one of those things I always hate when you get caught on a plane or something. You have to turn yeah. your phone off just the game is starting, you know. Um, the, the positive side of that is that you're going into what could well be the, the biggest club season of your career. Bristol are up to the Women's Super League. It's on Sky. People will have a chance to see you both back home and in England. How does that feel going up to, you know, the top, uh, one of the top 12 teams in England? Yeah. Uh, I'm quite nervous. I mean, I think that's just my character anyway. Like, I, I'd i be always putting myself down. And so I'm very nervous, but I'm also extremely excited. And it kind of is, you know, a really nice reward after however long it's been, 20 years of playing football for, you know, at club level and putting in the grass and so many sacrifices along the way to finally say that I'm, playing in arguably the best league in the world now and um, so that's super exciting and um, like I think last season is I look back to last season I was out for pretty much half of it so that doesn't help me in terms of my confidence levels going into the you know the WSL but then again I've just come off 
you know, playing at, or not playing, but like being part of a World Cup squad that I had to fight for my place for. So that'll give me confidence in another way. And then I'll have, you know, a good month of preseason with the girls starting next week. So I'm sure I'll feel ready to rock when the league starts beginning of October. Um, but right now, kind of a mixture of emotions, kind of nerves, excitement. Um, but it's going to be fantastic. And hopefully I can kind of put last season behind me on a personal note and uh, kick on from there and be a, a bigger player this season to come for Bristol. Jesus, it all seems to be happening for you in 2023. World Cups and promotions and <laughs> Women's Super League and everything. Do, do you ever sort of, does it ever get overwhelming, Chloe? You know, when you're sitting there going, Jesus, you know, I mean, I know it was more difficult a few years ago when there was no money in the game and you were sort of struggling. Everybody was struggling for training pitches and what have you, you know. But it's like, it's it's a big responsibility now to know that you're going to be playing in front on TV and in front of thousands of people, right? Yeah, no, I know. And and um, like even to see what Tallis Stadium has been like over the past 12 months when we've played games like the sheer number of kids who look up to us now and that's only growing so and um, I'd say once you know once WSL kicks off and I get to see those numbers on an even larger scale with all the club following that there is you know in in England that at that level it'll be it'll be surreal and fantastic so and um, yeah the, it's it is a lot of pressure but um it's a privilege, as they say. So uh, just need to embrace it, work hard, um, be an example for young girls um, and hopefully get some success along the way, both for the team and, and for me personally. I, I love that little smile that says how much you're actually looking forward to it, despite <laughs> the pressure. You know, um, Who got on the opening day of the season? Uh, we have Leicester at home, I believe. So pretty nice. Well, I'm sure Leicester will be, they'll all be very difficult games, but on the scale of how difficult it could have been for opening game, um, it's not, not too bad. Yeah, you see, I think a lot of people don't tend to realise that the Women's Super League, like, it's a little bit different. That, like, you know, Leicester struggled a lot uh, last year and haven't uh, over the last couple of seasons. <laughs> Birmingham City, obviously, were relegated and that. So, yeah. you know, but you, but you are lucky to avoid a sort of a Chelsea or an Arsenal and a Manchester City, you know. You'll have to play them twice anyway, but the opening day, you want a game you can get your teeth into, you know. Um, yeah. how, how do you think you'll do as a team? When you look at the team that you have and you look at the teams you're going to be facing, what would be success for you guys in this season, do you think? Um, I think if we can, if we can make it so that we're not in a relegation battle come the last kind of six weeks of the season, I think that would be a positive and kind of success for us. Um, you know, we'll then look to build on that in year two. Um, but if we could just not have the pressure and the stress in the last two weeks of kind of being in that relegation battle, I think that would be, for me, looking ahead, like I would see that as success. So yeah, if we can kind of be above that a couple of places above relegation battle that would be nice um but yeah it, it'll be difficult it will be very difficult and you know we're all very much aware of that so um but we've got a good group we've made some decent signings and there may be a couple of more before before the season starts as well so um and yeah we've a good core group behind as well from last season so yeah it's exciting um and yeah, i'm really looking forward to it um, when you go back now there's 22 league games in a WSL season then you have the Conti Cup you have the FA Cup you have your duties with Ireland um, <laughs> is it getting to the stage now where you know previously we always talked about women not getting enough games at the highest level is it sort of going to in the other direction now that there's almost too many games for international players like yourself it is extremely busy um, like I think the likes of Katie McCabe obviously our captain for Ireland playing for Arsenal like the sheer number of games that she had last season or you know this calendar year is 
is really kind of scary. And she's actually playing here in Sweden and Lynn shopping in two weeks time. I'm going to see her. Like, you know, so, I know, right. oh, so she's, gonna... she's already back and you'll only be starting your preseason, so to speak, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think she's back tomorrow. I think with preseason with Arsenal and she was saying, so what, do they have a preseason game in Sweden? Is this there? It's, you know, the Champions League this year. I don't know what's going on oh, with the qualifying Champions stage. Yeah. Okay. So there's some Champions League thing. I, so I haven't been able right, to okay. in the middle of the World Cup. So it's going to be mad altogether for her. Yeah. So like, I think it's a bit. It, I think it's a little bit worrying because there's so many top female footballers at the moment that are tearing their ACLs, and I think that's because the game is growing at such a rapid rate. But we're not quite there yet with the research and the medical backing for and um, women's sports. And so I think there's kind of a imbalance there between, as I said, how quickly the game is growing and then how much we can kind of keep up with the SNC. And so. It, it's great, but it's just, yeah, it's just been such a quick increase um, and, the, you know, in terms of the development that's gone into the game. So, um, yeah, it's a lot to ask, um, but hopefully, um, unfortunately, Arsenal learned it the hard way last season, but hopefully we can all as kind of a footballing, female footballing community kind of learn from that and know that rotation is really important and you have a squad of whatever it may be, kind of 23 players. And for a reason, so that players are not overloaded at certain points in the season. Yeah, I know Caroline Grom Hansen took a, a break from playing with Norway last year uh, for about seven or eight months until March of this year. And it was mostly mental for her yes. because she was just so tired. But she's been playing like, you know, week in, week out for years between World yes. Cups and Euros and Olympics and that kind of thing. You know, can I ask you what may seem like a silly question, right? The boots you wear, are they boots that you buy off the shelf that are done for feet like mine or are they women's boots? Um, I buy off Pro Direct, and they just sell adult boots, so it can be either male or female. And um, mm-hmm. now some, I think, like Nike and Adidas on their own website do sell boots specifically for male or female, and um, like they have different kind of sections. But I mean, from my understanding, like they're all the same; they're just different sizes, and um, obviously mm-hmm. for. Yeah. yeah so. I tell, if you feet as big as mine, there's going to be something wrong there, given the disparity <laughs> in height between the two. No, the reason I ask is because I was talking to a player there recently, and she was telling me that uh, th- there's a thing that some boots you put on as a female player, it starts to hurt you, the bottom of your heel straight away. Apparently, okay. this is very common with female players I've spoken to, and they go, "Okay, no, I have to get new boots now." You know, and they were saying that you know it would be much more. They, they reckon that there's going to be much less injuries and that kind of thing if you actually had boots that were suited to your feet rather than just a sort of a, not a one size fits all but a one form fits all because they are they tend to be developed for men you know and i was just wondering if that was something that you'd come across because there's women's jogging shoes right so when you go back yeah. on your five months you know it's not something you've thought of that much no for from my perspective like every every brand has a different type of fit anyway so like mm-hmm. people who wear adidas or even even the different models like like I'll always wear a Nike Phantom because it fits my foot well. But like, I know that if I were to wear a Mercurial or something like that, like my foot would probably be a bit too wide. So for me, like, I think the fit is important for feeling comfortable. But when it comes to like injuries, I like from my perspective it would be more down to like the studs. Like, mm. like that's my perspective, and I think the way the studs are aligned under the the boot is probably something we need to look into a bit more. Like how is how is your foot gripping to the grass and when you turn, is there any way of 
developing those that are kind of alleviate that turning process um, a bit better. But like when it comes to the actual fit of the boot, like every model is different and people have preferences over brands and models for a reason because their foot like fits better in one or the other. So like if someone's wearing a boot and they're not comfortable in it, I would just suggest trying a different model personally. But like maybe I'm wrong. Like I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong, but that's my perspective anyway. Yeah, no, it's just one of those fascinating things because you mentioned earlier on about the science of, of strength and conditioning. Maybe yeah. we're not where we want to be. When you go to the gym early in the morning, are you sitting there sort of, you know, working on your quads and hoping to God that your your, your knees will be able to take the demands on a modern female footballer? Um, yeah, I mean, unluckily for me, like I've learned to the hard way as well. Like I've had a few uh, long-term injuries. So um, it just becomes part of my kind of like prep work before training every day when I'm in the tub. Like I'll have prehab, specific prehab work to do. Um, and that just will live with me for as long as I'm a player. Like I'll have certain exercises to do to prime my muscles um, to be ready for all the demands of, of training, like twisting and turning and, and all the rest. But yeah, day to day, like keeping your your quads strong and your glutes strong are like massively important for females and so yeah that's just the nature of of the job for me now is just making sure i'm keeping keeping everything primed and and uh yeah ready to rock the 23 who went out there to represent Ireland are now all famous. You've been on every billboard and every bus <laughs> in Ireland once you're away, right? Um, but obviously, that's not really reflected in how women are compensated for playing the game. The WSL is now a full-time professional league, but I think the very base salary for the youngest player is something around £26,000 sterling a year. Is it worth your while to play football? You know, And the fact that you've been in the game for 20 years as well, you've obviously played for nothing <laughs> at some point as well. Do you feel it's sustainable? Do you feel that this is something that you want to do, or do you still feel it's a sacrifice um from my perspective obviously i only made the decision to go full time last year and and i've kind of explained why that was just because when i was coming out of school like the idea of being able to learn a sustainable living in women's football 10 years ago like it just wasn't there and how quickly things have changed in the past few years so and for me like at the moment like i'm not like losing money by playing but I'm definitely not earning near as much as what I would be if I was still working in my um, headhunting job that I left whatever it was 14 months ago so um, it's worth it for me at the moment because I can see that things are progressing quickly and um, it's only kind of a few years out of my life that I can enjoy um, I think that like after a few years if I'm not really seeing an increase in how much I'm being able to save, I'll probably call it a day earlier than what I will if things change rapidly for me, if that makes sense. So like if I come to the end of my two year contract with Bristol and not much has changed in my life for me as a footballer, like who knows whether I'll decide to keep playing. At that stage I'll be thirty, so it'll be time to kind of assess where I'm at, both from kind of a family perspective with my partner or um yeah. So different things for me to consider but um i think things are improving very rapidly it's just like for me i'm kind of i'm i'm definitely kind of in, in the second half of my career and like there's just so much talent now so um it just depends on, on how the next two seasons go for me like if i if i'm able to kind of keep earning more and more money then great i'll stay in it for a bit longer but if not then i look to kind of probably take a step back from professional football and, and look to to get back into the, the business world or something like that. 
when you're playing with a young, talented player like Abby Larkin, for instance, right? She's coming into a, a female footballing world that is almost entirely different from the one that you came yeah. into 10 or 15 years ago. Is there any element of, ah, oh, Jesus, I wish I was her age? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Do you ever feel a little bit sort of, you know, a tiny bit jealous or a tiny bit irritated about how things uh, how things were? And, you know, the, they're just sort of gliding in there, making all the money, getting all the boot deals, this kind of thing. Does that come up for you at all? Uh, it does a little bit, but only only like marginally. I mean, most of all, I'm just absolutely delighted to see the women's game being recognised. Um, like, yeah, of course, I wish I wish this could happen ten years ago, but like, it is what it is, and I've still had a great life. Like, I'm still extremely privileged, and I'm getting to in- at least enjoy it for part of my career, which is brilliant. And um, like, I would have never imagined attending a World Cup, like. God, if you'd said that to me five years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. So I'm still being able to to kind of experience these unbelievable things um, and, you know, do what I love for a living. So um, I'm still, I can still call myself lucky. Uh, but yeah, of course, part of me is like, damn it. Like, you know, I wish, I wish I I didn't have to, to you know, work really hard for those two years in recruitment um, where I could have been playing football, earning loads of money. Like, do you know what I mean? So. And um, but look, I'm said always important to keep perspective, and I'm enjoying it now. So that's that's the most important thing. If we look forward to these 22 Women's Super League games, we've seen some of the best players in the world at the Women's World Cup. The day we're talking, we saw Sam Kerr score an absolute belter for Australia <laughs> this morning, right? Um, how much are you looking forward to measuring yourself against players of that quality week in, week out, and not just when you're playing international football against the big teams? Yeah, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's that seems defender like because we're just gonna be defending for most of the game, and obviously next season. I mean, mm-hmm. hopefully I'm proved wrong, but that's just the expectation. Obviously, going into the, the Super League, it's gonna be it's gonna you know you, we're gonna be going from winning most weekends to you know being happy to grab a point, you know, and so uh, which is you know it's gonna be great for my development, and that's why I'm gonna relish it. It's gonna be great. I'm gonna be tested against the best in the world. So um, hopefully that'll help me as well in my international career over the next couple of you know over the next few years. And um, so it's gonna be great. It's just gonna be difficult and like. You know, one one of the things that you need to kind of consider as well in elite sport is like the mental side of things and like how am I going to manage not being too difficult on myself week to week, you know, and that's where obviously the psychological support comes in and thankfully we have someone at Bristol. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting season on all fronts, um, but just making sure that mentally and physically I remain in a good place, that's the main thing. Um, yeah, for sure, I just don't want to be touch wood injured for for a big part of the season like I was last year and just making sure that I'm keeping happy and taking myself out of football on my off days as well. Like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of it's a big balancing act. What do you like to do when you're not playing football? Well, typically I love to just see my friends and like my friends, which I can't, like my school friends are some of my soulmates and um, like the one time I've seen them since getting back in a World Cup, like I just, yeah, do you just walk, you know, there's, there's those different people in life where you walk away from having spent a couple of hours with them and your whole day just changes. Like, so typically I, I love to see my friends um, outside of football who have no, like, don't understand that world at all and that's exactly what I need. Um, unfortunately, I don't have them over in Bristol, so I need to get a bit more creative. Like, I spend some time volunteering at Phoenix. I spend some time, like, doing some artwork. 
And so we did go for lots of coffee and stuff like that with, with the girls on my team. We always do kind of surround the conversations around football just naturally. So um, I'd like to look into maybe doing a course this year. And last year was a bit kind of topsy-turvy for me because, like, I took a while to settle into full-time football and then my whole focus kind of shifted to getting back from injury in time for the World Cup. So uh, I didn't really kind of get to do what I wanted to do from that perspective. But, yeah, I think I'd love to to do a course or something like that as well this coming season. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I think it's the next game that's coming up from Ireland, for Ireland now is at home. It's against Ireland. It's in the Aviva Stadium. We're going for Tala Stadium, where we're, I think I was there, was like 5,500 allowed in just after the pandemic. This is 10 times that now. Um, it, how is that going to feel? Are you hoping that it sells out? Do you expect the Irish public that has watched you all summer to turn out and support you girls no matter what happens? Uh, look, I think... I think it would be silly to expect it to sell out. Like I think if we see if if we see double the amount that we've seen in Tala, I think that would be great. Hopefully, we see more than that, maybe twenty thousand. I think it's on a Friday night, or is it on Friday night twenty second? So, um, hopefully that will be helpful as well in getting more numbers because you see me play on a Thursday evening and like you know with people having work the next day and made to turn up and coming. So yeah, hopefully with it being Friday night and a bit more of an occasion the Aviva we can see a lot more numbers and um, but yeah I think it's we just need to expect and hope for progress and um, I don't think we're going to sell it out but uh it's exciting really really exciting and hopefully it's a game that we can go and win as well which would um just spur the public on even more to keep supporting us they're not a bad side Northern Ireland no I, I saw them last year at the Euros they could be tough enough like you know no yeah I know and sure I have a teammate from Bristol Rachel Furness played for them and she's She's a great player. So, uh, I don't know. They'll be very good. They'll be very good. Uh, so, I'm interested to see. I think they're they're still on the lookout for a manager. So, interested to see, like, uh, whether they'll have someone come September um, or not. So, but, yeah, either way, they'll be very good. Um, but hopefully we can draw on our on our exchange the World Cup to, to get the win and um, kick off the Nations League in a positive way. Because yeah, the Nations League, and then we have this, the Olympics, and then there's the European qualifiers, and it never stops at all. But we'll put that to one side. I just want to ask you one final question, Chloe, and I'm so yeah. grateful for your time, right? There's an awful lot of people who've seen women's football for the first time, boys and girls, women and men. What would you like them to take from this World Cup? What would you like them to take from the upcoming Women's Super League season? Um, that, like, women can really achieve big things if you just support them and I think like with the amount of resources that have gone into the game over the past few years like how much it has changed and changed the sport and we waited for so long for those resources to come around and when they finally did look at the impact that it's had so um yeah just to keep supporting keep supporting the sport and keep supporting women's sport because it's a really exciting um, place to be. And uh, yeah, hopefully there's more to come in, in other fields as well. Um, if they like, if, if Irish women's hockey, for example, or Irish women's basketball or rugby can get the support that we've had in the past couple of years, who knows, um, you know, how much we can be competing on the world stage in, in various different um, fields. Well, we're absolutely privileged to have somebody like you and the rest of the girls at Green representing us. And I can't wait to see what happens against Northern Ireland and with Bristol now when you start with the Women's Super League. But for now, Chloe Mustaki, thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, thanks. I really enjoyed it. Another inviting ball in there on the crossbar. It's in! Hayley McCabe has put Ireland in 
to both that. What a start for the Irish. The Olympic champions rattled by that. Burst up the right by Lucy Quinn. Which forced the corner from Perusa. The Canadians are in a huddle. What have we done? That has rocked them right back. And what a start for Ireland. What Fourth a start minute. is right, George. Unbelievable. Great delivery from Katie McCabe. I'm not too sure she's shooting there. She'll probably say she was, but we'll take it. There you go. I'm not sure Katie McCabe will thank her good friend Stephanie Roach for saying that she wasn't shooting there. I think she was. That's a fairly common corner uh, where you're trying to sort of hit it in under the sort of towards the back post there and sort of curl the ball in there because uh, the goalkeepers in the women's game may be not as tall so you try to exploit any mistake they make in terms of their positioning. So we'll give Katie the benefit of the doubt there. Ireland's first and only goal at the World Cup and I have to say I really enjoyed talking to Chloe Mustaki there because um, just really intelligent person never afraid to give her opinion and that kind of thing you know and really open and honest and that kind of thing you know so it's, it really was fantastic and uh, the women are, are very very approachable and I hope that doesn't change I've spoken before about how the trust that we have as journalists with uh, players in the women's game and that kind of thing and that's that's a very precious thing because you know can you imagine a podcast like this one that's still growing and still sort of in its infancy you know and if the lads had qualified for the World Cup not really sure that too many of them would take the time that Chloe took to talk to me and to explain this uh, to me and you know I hope it lasts I just hope that that spirit and that, that culture is retained even after the World Cup and the absolute best bit of course is when they're at Tallis Stadium or when they're at a game afterwards and you see them sort of taking the selfies with the kids and signing autographs and that just brilliant brilliant people and a game and, and a sport that I've really really come to enjoy over the last 20 years listen we're nearly done for this week right you will have noticed once again my uh, favoured loyal listeners there's no advertising on the podcast lads but what you can do is you can support it on patreon.com forward slash our man in Stockholm so please do if you can do that I have a couple of interviews lined up one is already done so next week's podcast is already in the bag and we're going to be talking about the subject of Irish identity which is a subject close to the heart of nearly all the listeners to this podcast as I mentioned before we spoke to Chloe there 70 million of us around the globe and I was on one of the Irish Facebook pages there recently, right? Uh, I'm not going to mention which one. You'll probably know it if you're a member of the same group, right? But there's always this fierce discussion around who gets to be Irish. And I don't get involved because, I, Jesus, I'd only lose me rag altogether, you know? There's some people have very, very strict definitions. Oh, you have to have... It's kind of like with Dubliners, you know? If you weren't born between the two canals, then you're not a real Dubliner. It's like, would you get away with that kind of stuff, you know? Anybody who claims Irish heritage, even anybody who's interested in Ireland and these things, as well lads you know does you know the criteria well, I have a very low bar for this lads you know if you want to, to claim your Irish ancestry or your Irish heritage I'm all in it get in the boat lads there's plenty of room for us all but we will be discussing that in great detail with the Irish author Kate Kerrigan on next week's podcast so that'll be out now in about 10 days time if you're listening to this on the day it is published and then after that we're going to be talking with a very fascinating and a very talented Irish man who is the head of innovation for one of uh, the really big companies here in the Nordic region based over in Finland and him I'm going to be talking to in the very near future as well and you often hear titles like that head of innovation what does that mean is that some fella sitting around scratching his beard yeah sometimes but they also do a whole lot else besides and it's going to be a great conversation all together that is it from me enjoy the women's world cup final enjoy picking out a team that you're going to support in the WSL but make sure most of all that you've liked the show you've subscribed it you might have given me an L review and that you're taking an interest in the girls of green because we will be revisiting them here on this podcast and following their uh, their progress because 
it's a source of great uh, pride and great interest for the Irish people around the world. I hope you're well. I'll talk to you again next week. Until then, look after yourselves, look after one another, and I'll be back again soon with another episode of the Global Gale podcast. Good luck. <laughs>